The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Former world tennis champion and social activist Billie Jean King is one of the most iconic athletes in American history. With 39 Grand Slam titles and 20 career wins at Wimbledon, King was named one of the 100 most important Americans in the 20th century by Life magazine. She joins Washington Post Live to talk about her new book, All In, an autobiography, which explores stories from her remarkable life and her ongoing commitment to equality. Let's listen. Good afternoon. or uh, Yeah. No, it's still morning. Good morning. <laughs> I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for The Washington Post. Welcome to Washington Post Live. I don't know much about sports, but I do know tennis. The tennis played by the greats of my childhood, and my guest today was one of the sport's greatest. She won 39 Grand Slam titles, 20 career wins at Wimbledon. She's the first female athlete to receive the Presidential Medal of Freedom. She is a longtime trailblazer in the world of professional sports and social justice. She is a champion for equality, including her work on LGBTQ plus efforts for several decades. And today, she is the author of All In, an autobiography. You see her there. She is Billie Jean King. Billie Jean, welcome to Washington Post Live. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks for the great introduction. Squeeze me. <laughs> it's you. How, why, how else could it not be? Um, wow. um, ter a terrific introduction. So listen, Billie Jean, your book is nearly 500 pages and covers so many elements of your life, but this isn't your first uh, autobiography. You published one in the early 1980s. Why did you decide to take another crack at telling your story? Why now? Because this one I spent day and night on for over four years, and I did not help Frank DeFord with the one he did. That was... Um, my agent pounding on us to do a book, and I kept saying, I don't want to do a book. And I'd just been outed is the reason we did it, because he was nervous um, that financially I was going to be hurting, which I was eventually. But um, no, the, the one I did spend some time on was in the 70s, which a lot has happened since the 70s. Mm -hmm. um, I did one with Kim Chapin. I did spend time with him. I did not spend time with Frank, although he's one of, he was one of my dearest friends. Uh, but this one is a labor of love. It's been over, I think it's close to five years, but I keep saying over four years. Had so much mm -hmm. help along the way, too. But I spent, I stopped reading other books, which has about killed me because I love reading. But I have spent so much time mm -hmm. uh, on this book. And I just, uh, it was fun sometimes. It was tough. Some memories were difficult. And then when we did the audio book, when I did the audio part, which I was wavering whether I do that or not, um, that was rough. I had to stop sometimes and just, I was crying and I just, I had to stop. So my heart and soul, I've, I gave everything I could to this book. Well, Billie Jean, well, then let's talk about this, because um, I've heard you say this in, in other interviews when doing the audio book, that you had to stop and you were crying. What, were there particular memories um, or particular uh, eras in your in your life that gave you such pause or took you back there, uh, back in that moment? Well, I think 
as a child and overall, I, I knew that women were second-class citizens, and I knew my sisters of colors had a uh, sister of colors had it much worse. Um, I didn't like that. I and then at 12, when I had my epiphany that I would fight for equality the rest of my life, I, I it's not fun being a second-class citizen. You know better than anybody um, what that feels like, and. It's not fun. I think everyone should be represented. I think people should fight for equity and equality for everyone. Uh, and that's always been a constant in my life. I just get so tired of it every single day. I could say something to a lot of people and I don't uh, because it's not worth it. Some You've got to really pick and choose where you're going to go with that. Um, mm -hmm. But I think being outed, not being able to come out on my own terms was terrible. It's in the book. Um, and also, um, going through my eating disorder, I tried to decide how much of that I'm going to talk about. Am I going to talk about it at all? Um, and I thought, I, can't, I have to. Um, I mean, that was a big part of my life as well. And I think it probably helped me more than anything. And I have met so many people with eating disorders. I meet people with mental health challenges, uh, which is very big in the news right now with Naomi Osaka. And files and everyone. So um, I just thought, you know, it was really hard to relive those moments sometimes. But I also thought it wasn't going to be a very good book if I didn't put it in. It wouldn't be uh, enough. It wouldn't be truthful. And it wouldn't, you know, I, I think when you do these things, it might be, I don't know, I don't know if it was cathartic either. I would keep asking myself, was it cathartic? I'm not sure. But the point is, uh, I always like to share. And I like to, not always, but most of the time share mm -hmm. um, and try to get people to think about themselves and how they can um, live the life they want, but also how we can, can help others and how to lead. I think it's really important that everyone is an influencer, and I don't think they realize it. In everyday life, it matters. One-on-one -on -one matters. Um, talking to people, listening, actively listening, not just mm -hmm. listening, actively listening to people. And it's so important to having a better life and to improve people's lives. You know, we don't well, live know, in a binary world anymore either. So it's very, com it's becoming more complex in some ways. You know, and as, as an active listener, I am going to race ahead because I was going to, I was going to um, hold these questions uh, about your coming out and about your outing until a little bit later. Um, but you know, you, you, you write in the book. Um, that you tried to discuss your sexuality with your mother. And she said, quote, we don't talk about these kinds of things in our family. And then you wrote about the time you, you drove by two men walking together down the street and it triggered your dad's memory. And you wrote, quote, he told us a story about a man in the service who propositioned him. I'd have clocked him if he hadn't backed off, my father said, I believed him. How did hearing these stories, uh, hearing stories like these, push you deeper into the closet? Because you you write in the book um, that your family was homophobic and you yourself was was homophobic. Yes, because I was you know brought up in church and although you know the church never said anything bad about being gay at all. In fact, I don't think it came up. But my parents definitely were homophobic, and of course, you live in that environment. You get, I, you know, I got very closed. I didn't also, I knew it was painful for them, but I didn't agree with my dad in the car. I remember, but I didn't know I was gay yet. I mean, I thought it was straight, mm -hmm. but I knew mm -hmm. it wasn't right because everyone, I just thought it was, it's okay what everybody 
what anybody wants. But I remember arguing with my dad in the car that day because we were going to a tournament when when we when he talked about it. I said, well, Dad, I'm glad you didn't hit him, um, but I don't think anything's wrong with that. And he said, well, we just don't talk about that. You know, we, that's not right. And I said, well, you can tell I trusted my dad because I'd argue with him which mm-hmm. is really important for people. If you're really afraid, you're going to go in a fetal position in the corner someplace. But I always stood up to my dad because I knew that he would listen and I would, he and I'd get into it even if we didn't agree. Um, my mom was much more quiet, um, didn't talk as much. Um, but I totally trusted both of them that I, that, um, yeah. that I knew they were on my side. That's what I was really always clear on. And when I was mm-hmm. outed and had a press conference in LA, they showed up. And to show their support, well, and I knew they would. They, they, there's, there's that well, lo- that unconditional love that prevailed. And you know, I'm, I, and and that is fantastic to, to hear because you didn't fully come out to your parents until you were 51 years old. Uh, Correct. That I tried. I, I certainly tried, Jonathan, many times, and it just, I could just tell my mother particularly just could not go there. And I thought, you know what? I just kept waiting. And also I was in the closet so much because I was told in the seventies when I was trying to figure out who I was, I wasn't sure that I couldn't talk about it or else we wouldn't have a tour. Well, all I had to hear is that. And then I went deeper into the closet. So um, it was rough, but, and I knew being outed in 81 that it wasn't going to go well. Today, if you come out, it's a whole different ball. It's very different. When Jason Collins, who was, you know, playing for the NBA and who's a very dear friend, I, I love him dearly. He he came out right before he retired and he got a phone call from President Obama congratulating him. He's got a job at the NBA. I had a, the opposite experience and be, people, be, the generations before me, I cannot imagine what life was for them. Uh, but it was not in good shape for me at all or people who were gay or part of the LGBT community back in 81. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had Stonewall in 69, which wasn't that many years before. So, right. um, no, and also if you, if, if I'm, res- if my actions are responsible for a tour, I'm not going to say anything. So I went deeper. I mean, I've got to keep quiet. I want this tour to be successful. You know, Billie Jean, that, and, and that gets to uh, a nice segue into the conversation we're having, or we had been having during the Tokyo Olympics, um, surrounding um, Simone Biles and how mm-hmm. she was carrying, you were carrying the weight of tennis on your shoulders at that time, as you just said a couple of times now, that if you were afraid that if you came out, that it would ruin the entire tour. I would love for you to talk about um, you know, your perspective on what Simone Biles went through in terms of, you know, t- stepping back during the during the Olympics, taking care of her her mental health as all not only as a way of protecting the Olympic team, but also protecting the sport of gymnastics. I thought Simone was very brave and courageous to talk about her truth, what was going on. I think it was also fascinating from an athletic point of view, the, what would go on when she was flipping up and couldn't get her spatial relations. Mm-hmm. That is frightening. Just to, think about that as an athlete but I thought she was courageous in that she thought about the team first I really her leadership I admired that Uh, I've had the privilege of meeting her before 
at a Women's Sports Foundation gala. We honored her and getting to meet her and her mother, who are just wonderful people. And uh, she, uh, Simone did the right thing. She allowed the team to, to medal, which they wouldn't have, if she said if she had been still stayed in it. So that was the right decision. And I think sharing her truth was really important to all of us. And, you know, Osaka uh, earlier mm -hmm. this year had talked about mental health and how she was feeling. So uh, it's very much on everyone's minds. It's great how female athletes do step up and use our platforms really well. I think we're very courageous in that way. In some ways, we've been the leaders uh, as women. Uh, we've been the leaders for all, all of these topics. Um, so I'm really happy about that. Um, and I'm glad they're using their sport as a platform to tell the world what's going on and what they're feeling. And it's important to discuss it. It's important to have it out and be open so we can have these discussions to make improvements and, and to help each other and know that we're not alone, that each people, you know, people learn that they're not alone. And that's where social media is really helpful. Mm -hmm. But then you've got the other side of social media, where you've got the bullying mm -hmm. and people making fun of others. And so we have to differentiate from that. So I think hopefully young people are not listening to that, only listen to the good stuff. Um, but I have great faith in them. I have great faith in the, in the young generations to make this world a better place. Uh, I'm so pleased, like with Black Lives Matter, what they've done, Naomi Osaka, I'm so, I just think it's great. Uh, Serena and Venus have led the way as well. And so I just think that it's important that we listen. Mm -hmm. Billie Jean, you, you've mentioned her three times now. Osaka, we're talk you're talking about Naomi Osaka. I've seen yes. your quotes about her. You think she is she is all of that. Have you had a chance to talk to her um, at all this summer? Not very much. We just we've text and I know her agent really well. I've talked to him. Uh, I try to stay out of the way. I'm an older player. I try to stay out of their way unless I really. But she and I have texted back and forth for a long, long time now since she first started speaking out. Coco Goff, when she spoke out, I texted her to tell her how proud I am of all of them just using our platform of, of tennis and sports to make this world a better place and to lead. I love it. So, uh, and I think Simone's done the same thing and, and um, a lot of young people. So with, so with Naomi Osaka, you've been texting back and forth and I know you say, you just said you, you want to stay out of the way. You don't want to get, but you have, you know, you were at, in the vanguard, you were at the forefront. Um, what advice, what advice have you given Naomi Osaka, or if you don't want to go there, what advice would you give young athletes in particular, but young people in, in general about how to deal with, um, with the notoriety, with the fame, with the pressure, uh, that comes with being a part of, of sports? Well, first of all, I think our sports have to teach them when they're young what it means to be a professional athlete or be at the top or Olympic athlete. I think they're not, you're not just an athlete that goes out and performs as an athlete. You have other obligations. So that's very important that we explain that. Also to get help. The first and most important thing in this world is to take care of yourself. That's what I've told Naomi. Whatever you need, make sure you do it. I am very big believer in therapy. I've had a lot of psychotherapy and it changed my life and has made me um, so much happier emotionally. I cannot tell you how much it's helped me in my life to feel free and to um, just not have these psychological burdens in 
in, you know, because you carry these things in all of your body, not just parts of your body, all of your body. So um, I just think it's important for them to take care of themselves. But I also think that we need to do a better job of explaining what it means to be a professional athlete or a top athlete, because part of the obligation, I think, of being an athlete is talking to people like you, Jonathan. I think it's important um, as an athlete that we have this privilege, we have this platform that very few people will ever experience. And I want to make this world a better place. And I think communicating is one of those ways. And I think it's important. We have an obligation. The reason these athletes make all this money is because of the, the media content, talking with the media, doing, using your own social media now, today. But it's really important to share your stories with the world. And it, you're mm -hmm. not going to have that without people like you, talk, you know, talking to you or doing other things and what they say well i can do it through just social media well i think that's very myopic i wouldn't do that i think it's important that you share your story with the media they also have a job when i would go to a press conference <clears throat> excuse me when i was playing i would look at each person there and knowing that they, that's the way they're making a living and i'm making my living here and it's really important to connect and it's very important to connect with the fact that this is their job. It's not that easy either to walk into a room and have to face us. But I think athletes need to know, and every human being needs to know, that you're not alone. That mm -hmm. people have these feelings and to get some help. You know, Billie Jean, we, over the last few years, particularly with Colin Kaepernick taking a knee and mm -hmm. other athletes taking political stands, or, so, or stands on social or, or cultural issues. How do you feel about that, about athletes using their platforms to express their opinion or an opinion about what is happening in the country? Well, people are always asking us our opinion, but I, I remember telling um, a journalist one day, they asked me my opinion on something. I said, I have no idea because I don't know everything. Just because I'm an athlete doesn't mean I, I know that much about everything. But I think on social issues, I think it's fantastic. The NBA, the WNBA, um, I think what Kaepernick, that was, people did not understand what he was doing. But he definitely had a, uh, the right to do that. Uh, he was not against the military. He was about social justice and inclusion. I mean, it was so obvious to me. But the world went cockeyed with it and didn't get it. And um, I would have been for him. I think Kaepernick has a right to do. I probably wouldn't have done it quite the way he did, but he had every right to do that to Neil. And it's fine because it's like he's not, he's not physically hurting anybody. And I think it's good to talk about these issues. I think it's good to get mm -hmm. him out in the open. But I think really uh, I, I, the one thing I don't understand is why he hasn't, hasn't had a chance to working in, but he took a big check, I think, from the NBA, didn't he? Is that correct? I think he uh, took that, a check. That, that I think I, he got. I think I, he know. took. I think he took. What I understand is he took a check close to thirty-five million dollars uh, from the NBA. But I really wanted to see if he could play again personally. Well, we we will uh, try to check check that out in the. I, I don't know. A little bit of I'm time. That we I have don't left. Know. Right, 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 right. So, Billy Jane, I have to get you to uh, to elaborate on something that you sort of alluded to earlier. Um, when you you spoke with the New Yorker uh, about your book and your efforts to help women, and one thing you stressed, and 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 here's the quote: When a woman leads, she leads for everyone, 
what people do to us is when a woman leads, we lead only for women, for change just for women. That's what people say. It really irritates me because I think that's, that's why we don't have a woman president of the United States. We're always a support system. We only have half the market all the time because of the way people perceive us. Why do you think there's a perception that women only lead for women? Because we're not, how many CEOs are women? You have to see it to be it a lot of times. Now you can see it in your mind's eye sometimes. Most people can't do that. They tell me, Billy, I can't do that. What I, what I see is what I see. So until they start to see women in these uh, higher positions all the time, uh, people don't think that that's the way they can be. So we have to have more and more women CEOs. We have to have, I mean, I, I, that's why I want girls to go into sports because they don't have to be any good, but they learn how to navigate the business world and the world that men have created for us, for all of us. So, um, and understanding what's between the lines, what's being really said in a meeting or in a boardroom. I've been in those situations. I'm a businesswoman, and I've seen that where a woman did not was not in sports at all. We get in a boardroom. A guy says something. A, a male says something, and she missed she missed it. Just went over her head, mm. or what she says goes over his head. So it's like. Being in sports is kind of a common denominator. It's, uh, it's amazing if you're in sports how much it helps in business. Uh, you don't have to be good. You just have to understand the culture. Uh, and it really helps us in, in, in everything we do. Mm -hmm. um, but I do, believe, I do believe in that quote. I do believe I'm sick of being uh, only thinking less than half the marketplace. Because if women are only half the marketplace, we're going to continue to make half of everything. And we're not going to be able to get equal pay for equal work until people start thinking differently. You know, you said in Time Magazine, you said you said in Time Magazine, women want the cake and the icing and the cherry on top, just like everybody else. Yes. And we have to go for it. Absolutely. I and totally so, believe that. And so then there women or young girls could be watching right now and wondering, okay, Billie Jean King, Billy, legendary Billie Jean King, how do you <laughs> how do I do that? Okay, here's what you think about. Number one, relationships are everything. So learn to connect. You usually get your first job because of somebody you know, okay? Connections. I mean, Jonathan, how did you get your first job? Oh, please. I, I, yeah, oh, I absolutely remember. I remember every, almost every single person who um, made a decision or took me under their wing that got me to where I am. You I agree with you 100% on that. Also. Women, follow the money just like the boys, okay? Make a lot of money, be a billionaire or multimillionaire, and then go into nonprofit, okay, and, and work. Do not directly go into nonprofit. We are taught, women are taught to go into nonprofit right away. You don't make enough money. Now, if you still want to do it, that's fine, because I think you've got to follow your heart and mind. But just think about this. We're always taught and we're encouraged and to go into places where we make very little money. And so, first of all, we need to get equal pay for equal work. That's, that's major. That'll help the most. But, but follow the money. Think about how you can create money and how you can create uh, what you want. And know that it always goes with relationships. You know, I, I'll talk to artists sometimes, like um, in music or art, and they go, oh, I don't want to get into the business side. I just want to paint or I just want to do my music. And you'll talk to rock and roll groups like this. They'll go, ah, 
You have to understand the business. That's why I want athletes to understand the sports business, and they don't. So it mm. really helps. I've been on both sides of own tournaments, leagues, teams, and I'm telling you, it really has helped my leadership when I was trying to help change women's tennis, okay? I understood both sides of the story. So understand the business and keep learning and keep learning how to learn and also be a problem solver and an innovator. Mm -hmm. Billy Jean, that's, we've that's got major. Mm -hmm. We've got five minutes left and I got to squeeze in a bunch, a bunch more questions. Okay. Um, we'll do you have been critical. You've been critical of the launch of a new labor group started by men's tennis star Novak Djokovic. Um, um, the Prof oh. Professional Tennis Association says they want a bigger voice in tennis, but women were initially not part of the leadership. You said they only talk about women if they're pushed. In 2021, how discouraging is this for you? It's not. I've talked with them. Uh, they know they need women, so we've already going to see change in that organization already. Um, I wasn't that upset with them, and I always think it's important to talk to people. So I've already talked to them. Uh, I think they're going in the right course. They're going to have more women involved. Uh, I don't know how it's going to play out because we have a WTA, the Women's Tennis Association, and the ATP. Those are the two uh, voices we've had before. Uh, I've always wanted the association to be together. Maybe this association will. I don't know. But um, I've talked since that quote, and um, we've had some great talks. So we'll see what happens. Um, well, Billie Jean, things have come full circle in your life. Um, you got together with your now wife, Ilana Kloss, mm -hmm. uh, back in 1987 while you two played doubles together. You two were married in 2018, so a year after Nick and I got married. So welcome to welcome to the club. <laughs> Thank you. Actually, uh, Lana and I've been to, actually Lana and I've been together 42 years. Okay, I think fine, 41 or 42, 42, I think. <laughs> yeah, 42 years we've been together. But we did want to get married. Um, you know, Mayor Dinkins was such a, oh, I just loved him so much. He was the 106th oh, yes, mayor great, of New York man. City. And his wife, Joyce, it was so wonderful. And he's got David Jr., Donna. He's got great kids. Anyway, I, I, he used to always tell Lonnie, if you ever get married, you've got to let me marry you. And so we said, we promise, we promise if we ever do. So he says, well, come on. You know, I love to marry people. So mm -hmm. when it, we were ready to do this and we did it privately, we wanted to do one thing in our lives that was totally private. And this was it. We just, oh, it was so nice. And we called up Mayor Dinkins and said, we're ready. And he goes, all right. So we, we made it easy on him. We went over to his apartment. He and Joyce, uh, Joyce, uh, mm -hmm. Joyce, so it was just beautiful. And we're so happy. And he it was just, oh, I was just so happy that day. And I, lo I love that guy so much. Uh, Mayor Dinkins yeah. is one of my all-time favorite guys. And Mayor Dinkins was a huge tennis fan. He played he played tennis a lot. And also, I know he loved to marry people because a friend a friend of mine asked me to ask him to marry him and his girlfriend. And Mayor Dinkins and Mayor Dinkins readily uh, uh, readily agreed. Uh, one last question, and we're already out of time, but I have to ask you this: Did you know that um, when Elton John wrote the song "Philadelphia Freedom"? that it was in honor of you um, uh, and yes. the, tennis, the tennis club you had. The tennis yeah, we had, had. I was on the tennis team, right. Um, the Philadelphia Freedoms was the first year of World Team Tennis. But no, I knew he did because we we're going in a uh, limo, limo out to one of his concerts and he said, I want to write a song for you. And I went, what? And I was like, well, like <laughs> I, I didn't hear you right. 
He said, now I want to write a song for you. And he said, what are we going to call it? What are we going to call it? Well, he'd been coming to matches. I got him a uniform made from Ted Tenling, made him a beautiful, the men's uniform. And he used to sit on the bench and yell and scream. So he had, he had experience of this. And he said, well, how about, the, you know, when he said, how about the Philadelphia Freedom uh, name? I said, oh, my God, that'd be the best gift you could give to the people of Philadelphia. If you would do that, that would be awesome. It became number one, crossed over into R&B, became number one in R&B. He was so happy. Uh, and he, uh, we have such a great, I mean, he's a wonderful man. He and David, Billy, um, it's great. Billy Jean King, we are not only out of time, we are, we are over time. Over. We didn't even get to talk about, about Bobby Riggs and, and all the, the grand slams that you've won and everything, but it's all right here. It's, your book is right here on my, on my bookshelf. It's all right there in your book called All In. Billie Jean King, thank you so much for coming to Washington Post Live. Thanks a lot, Jonathan. And as always, thank you for tuning in. Please go to WashingtonPostLive.com to register and find more information about all of our upcoming programs. I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for The Washington Post. Thank you very much for watching Washington Post Live. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com. What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL.